Hello, greetings and welcome. I'm John Gibbons and this is Alchemy Radio, the home of the open mind. It's great to have your company, whether you're a long-term or first-time listener, and we really hope you enjoy the show today. We're free and on demand from iTunes and alchemyradio.net, and you can follow us and join the Alchemy community on Facebook and Twitter, so don't be shy about saying hello. We exist thanks to your kind donations, so thank you to everybody who does so via our website. We're completely non-profit and intend to stay that way. So, on to the show. This week's guest is Dr. Tom O'Brien. Tom is an internationally recognized speaker and workshop leader, specializing in the complications of non-celiac gluten sensitivity and celiac disease. He is the founder of www.thedoctor.com. He recently hosted the Paradigm Shifting The Gluten Summit, A Grain of Truth, bringing together 29 of the world's experts on celiac disease and non-celiac gluten sensitivity at theglutensummit.com. Tom, you're extremely welcome to Alchemy Radio. How are things? Hello, very well. Thank you, John. It's great to have you on the show. And this is a topic that we'll be discussing that's extremely close to my heart. But before we delve into the nitty gritty, tell me a little bit about your background, Tom, and I suppose how you got from where you were to where you are now. Ah, okay. Well, uh, when I was an intern back in school, uh, let's see, that would have been 34 years ago, my wife and I could not get pregnant. So I called the seven most famous doctors I'd ever heard of and said, hello, I'm just an intern um, soon to open a practice, but we can't get pregnant. What would you do? And they all told me what they would do. Most of it I'd never heard of before, but I put a program together and we were pregnant in six weeks. My neighbors in married housing, we lived on campus, um, they had gone through artificial insemination and nothing had worked. And they said, could you work with us? And I said, well, I don't really know what I'm doing, but you know, I don't think it's going to harm you in any way. Sure. She was pregnant in three months. So we were off to the races. I was hot to try to get out and open my practice and get everyone pregnant that wanted to get pregnant. <laughs> and since then, we've helped hundreds of couples with infertility, recurrent miscarriages, uh, intrauterine growth retardation, where the babies don't develop in utero very well, birth defects. We've helped so many people. And there is a common theme. There is no cookbook approach, but there's a common theme. And the first, first uh, item on the checklist of the common theme is, do they have food sensitivities? Because if someone has a food sensitivity, you see, you pull at a chain. And the chain always breaks at the weakest link. It could be at one end, the middle, the other end. It could be your heart, your brain, your liver, your kidneys, your reproductive system. Wherever your weak link is, that's where you're going to have symptoms if you have too much pull on your chain, if you have too much stress in life. And stress is not just emotional. It's chemical, biochemical, physical, uh, spiritual. There are many different types of stress, but they all pull on the chain. And wherever your weak link is, that's where you're likely to have the symptoms develop. And what we found with these patients with reproductive system disorders is that consistently food sensitivities were pretty close, if not at the top of the checklist. And the most common food sensitivity was gluten. 
Second was dairy, but gluten was number one. And so we found that almost all, not quite all, but almost all of the people that came to us with that particular set of concerns, and actually many other concerns, they had a gluten sensitivity. So that caught my interest 34 years ago. And I've been studying and applying those principles ever since. And about 10 years ago, I decided, you know what? I'm playing way too small. It's time to get this message out to larger numbers and let's get out there and start teaching. So I've been on the, on the road teaching about gluten sensitivity with or without celiac disease for the last uh, 10 years. That's fascinating. And 34 years is a long time. I mean, that must make you one of the pioneers in this field, because certainly here in Ireland, where I'm based, gluten sensitivity is a relatively new thing. And many people kind of pass it off as a fad and, oh, you know, it's fashionable now to have a gluten free diet and celiac disease isn't really a disease. And you get all this kind of condescension from a lot of mainstream media. However, it hasn't gone away. And I think a lot of people are copying onto it. But 34 years ago, it must have been quite a struggle to get your information out there into the public consciousness, or am I completely wrong? Oh, my goodness, no. Uh, most of my peers in the field, most healthcare professionals thought that I was a nutcase. And uh, uh, the real pioneer in the field is Dr. Rodney Ford. Rodney is a pediatric gastroenterologist in New Zealand, and he started publishing on this in the early 90s, and he took so much flack. Mm. And uh, uh, gastroenter- his, his fellow gastroenterologists um, uh, would say not kind things about him. And uh, we have commensurated over that over many a glass of wine over the years that we have similar war stories about people get locked into a particular line of thought. And to open up a different line of thought, it's challenging at times. Well, they feel challenged. They feel that their belief system, their foundation of how they practice or how they think, or, or how they live their lives is being challenged. And it's not the case. You know, it's kind of like you tell a farmer, you know, the guy has a tractor, and uh, uh, he's been driving that tractor for 15 years. It's worked well, and, you know, puts petrol in it, and it works well. And now he gets a new tractor, but he's told that he can't use the same petrol. He's got to use a more expensive fuel. It's lead-free. And uh, he's nonsense. I'm using the old, you know, the old stuff's fine. It works really well. It's always worked well in my tractors, and so he's, but so he uses the regular fuel that uh, contains lead in a lead-free engine. Of course, um, uh, leaded gas burns hotter, and you can burn out the engine even on a tractor. And that's what happens in our body: is that fuel, is, food, is the fuel in your body. And for anyone that thinks it doesn't matter what fuel you put in there, just put leaded gas in your car for a few weeks, and then talk to me again. Yeah, so while your car might actually run for a little while, you will reap the benefits, in inverted commas, a little bit down the line. That's exactly right. Okay, so for those who mightn't be familiar with what gluten sensitivity or what gluten itself is, what are we talking about exactly, Tom? Oh, thank you. Yes, right. It's a really good foundational uh, question. Uh, Gluten is the protein in many different grains. Gluten is not bad for you. That's the first thing. Gluten is not bad for you. Bad gluten is bad for you. And if you understand that all proteins are not the same, then it starts to make sense. Okay, some proteins may not be as good for the human body as others. Well, the gluten proteins that are in wheat, rye, and barley, 
are not digestible by humans. No human can break down those, the proteins in wheat, rye, and barley completely. If you think of proteins like a pearl necklace, hydrochloric acid that's made in our stomachs, the digestive enzyme, it undoes the clasp of the necklace. Hmm. Now you've got this pearl necklace and you can lay it on the table in front of you. It's one long string of pearls. Other enzymes in our digestive tract are scissors that are supposed to cut off each pearl. Each pearl is called an amino acid. And it's the amino acids that are supposed to go through the walls of the intestines into the bloodstream. And then your body has all these amino acids are like bricks, all these different bricks that you can build a new wall. You can build new muscle tissue. You can build new heart tissue. You can build new enzymes. You can build new hormones in the brain called neurotransmitters. That amino acids are the building blocks for building new tissue in our bodies. And we're healing all the time. Well, the problem with the gluten proteins in wheat, rye, and barley is that we can't snip them into individual pearls. So they get snipped into 17 pearl clump or a 33 pearl clump hmm. or 11 pearl clump. These big clumps, and they're called peptides. Peptides of these amino acids of these clumps of pearls cause inflammation in the intestines for every human every time you eat it. Now, the fastest growing cells in your body are the inside lining of your intestines. You have a new lining to your intestines every three to seven days, depending on what study you read, three to seven days. And we shed the lining of our intestines like the snake of a skin, and you build new cells, and you build new cells. So every time you eat gluten, you tear the skin on the inside of the intestines. You get a little tear, and then it heals. You have a sandwich, a, a toast for breakfast, you get a little tear it heals. You have a sandwich for lunch, you get a little tear, it heals. You have pasta for dinner, you get a little tear, it heals. You have cookies, you get a little tear, it heals. Croutons on your salad, you get a little tear, and it heals. And this goes on day after day after day after day after day, mm. and then one day you don't heal anymore. That we've worn out the healing capacity of our intestines, and now you have something called intestinal permeability, or slang term is the leaky gut. Right. And, and when you have the leaky gut, now you get these kind of like holes in your intestines. They're microscopic, but they're still big. So these pearls, uh, these clumps of pearls, they get through the holes in the intestines. And so these peptides get into the bloodstream and they cause more inflammation. Your immune system tries to protect you because these are not building blocks that you can use to build new muscle or new heart tissue or new brain tissue. Your immune system says, whoa, what's this? This is not good for me. I better fight this. And now you start making antibodies to whatever that food is. So if, if that clump of pearls is the proteins from wheat, you make antibodies to wheat. But now you've got the tears in the intestines. So other clumps of pearls from different foods can get through the tear before there's been enough time for those um, other proteins to be clipped down to each pearl, each amino acid. So you get peptides of corn going through. Now you're going to build allergies to corn, and you build antibodies to corn. You get pr uh, proteins of um, uh, bananas going through. Now you're going to build antibodies to bananas. You get proteins to chicken. Now you're going to build antibodies to chicken. And these are the people that find that they have a sensitivity to many, many different foods. Um, uh, and the trigger for that most often is the tears in the lining of the intestines, which was caused by eating the food 
that causes inflammation inside the intestines all the time, which the most common foods are wheat, rye, and barley. Well, that's absolutely fascinating, and it's a really good way of looking at it. I think the pearls analogy is absolutely excellent because it helps, certainly helps me to visualize exactly what's going on there. And it also explains, I mean, a common, um, a common kind of counter that I hear when I tell people about my own journey as uh, gluten-free, being gluten-free for nearly a year now, and the health benefits that I have derived from that, and they kind of say, ah, yeah, well, it's in your mind or whatever, but... That kind of explains away what you've just said, um, why people can say, well, I've been fine up to now because yes. you haven't really been fine. It's just that your body still has the capacity to heal. Am I correct? That's exactly right, John. And there are many studies that have looked with that. And, you know, the, um, the, um, it, it's really um, an opportunity that our scientists have this one condition that we know very clearly how it happens, why it occurs, and what to do about it, and that is celiac disease, which is one way that a gluten problem may manifest. It's just one way that it may manifest, but now we have that way and we can follow it. And so why is it that a celiac, a person that suffers from celiac disease, um, when you check the family, because maybe one of the teenage children is having stomach problems, they say, well, maybe they've got celiac like their father, and they check them and he doesn't, but that person 15 years later now has celiac disease. How come that happens? Where does that come from? Mm. And the answer to that is called loss of oral tolerance, that um, uh, we are exposed to so many toxins in our life. There are so many things coming at us from chlorine to pesticides to insecticides to heavy metals in the fish that we eat and other exposures. There are so many toxins that we're exposed to that our immune system kind of gets overwhelmed and it no longer can tolerate this minor um, um, irritant, which is gluten from wheat. It's a minor irritant. For most people, it doesn't cause pain when they eat it. They, they don't know they got a problem with it. They don't know. But now when you cross that threshold and your immune system can't quite handle, uh, can't quite ignore that anymore, because it's vigilant fighting against so many other things. Now it says, wait a minute, this gluten thing, enough of this. This thing's causing a little bit of inflammation down here, enough. We got to fight this thing. Now you develop the sensitivity to gluten, and now you start developing the damage. And if you pull at the chain and the weak link is in your gut, it may manifest as celiac disease. If the weak link is in your brain, it may manifest as autism or attention deficit or seizures or Alzheimer's. I mean, there are studies in the medical literature showing Alzheimer's patients checked out of the facility by their doctors, sent back home to live with their families because they're functional again after they put them on a gluten-free diet. It's unbelievable how this thing may manifest. Wherever the weak link in your chain is, that's where it's going to manifest. I'll give you one more example about this brain thing while we're still hot on this topic. Yeah. And this is in the Journal of Gastroenterology. Children diagnosed with celiac disease. No, excuse me, I, I said that incorrectly. Children with epilepsy, drug-resistant epilepsy. Children with drug-resistant epilepsy. So you're a parent and your child gets seizures and you've gone to your doctor, he tried to help, he couldn't, he sent you to the neurologist, he gave you different medications, they don't work. They sent you to a pediatric gastroenterologist, a specialist, they give you medications, it doesn't work. Children diagnosed or children with drug resistant epilepsy, 
50% of them go into complete remission. That means no more seizures on a gluten-free diet. 50% of them. And that's published in the Journal of Gastroenterology. That's incredible. And we're talking about hard science here. We're not talking about fancy free pie in the sky, Tom. That's exactly right. This is all science. This is all science. There are over 19,000 studies on how wheat may affect the human body. 19,000 studies. 19,000 different research teams that said, let's take a look at how gluten sensitivity may affect the kidneys. And they did their research for months. And then they published their article. And they submit their article to the medical journal to be published. And the editor reads it and says, well, let's change the grammar a little bit. You know, let's clean this up a little bit. The editor sends it out to a number of reviewers, usually three to five reviewers for every article. The reviewers look at it and they say, well, th- I agree with this, but why did you say this? And it goes back and forth until eventually the journal accepts the submission for publication and then it gets published. So this is anywhere from three months to a year of a researcher's a team of researchers' efforts to talk about, in this example, the effect of a gluten sensitivity on the kidneys. Mm. Anywhere from three months for a year. And there are 19,000 papers like this in the medical literature. Okay, so the work has most certainly been done. So to delve a little bit further into gluten sensitivity and I suppose celiac disease as well, um, you mentioned inflammation and many listeners will know that inflammation is really the source of disease or dis-ease within the body and it can manifest itself in so many different ways. So what are some of the obvious manifestations of um, an intolerance to gluten? Well, that's a really good question. So for the, the term inflammation, um, I think what our um, listening audience, uh, if, they, if they understand this, it'll, it'll help them be healthier for the rest of their lives. And that is every degenerative disease, as far as I know, every degenerative disease at the cellular level is always a disease of inflammation inside that cell. The cell's on fire. And as those cells get destroyed because of the fire or they get altered, we get cancer. We get heart disease. We get diabetes. Whatever the weak link is, that's where you're going to get your symptoms. But inflammation means the cell's on fire. So the first thing, stop throwing gasoline on the fire. Mm. No matter what it is you're suffering with, stop throwing gasoline on the fire. That's why you hear about the anti-inflammatory lifestyle, the anti-inflammatory diet, um, or the foods that put the fire out called antioxidants and polyphenols like in berries and blueberries and raspberries. They put the fire out or cherries. They put the fire out. And that's why you hear of all of these studies that say how foods may help. The broccoli. Broccoli has been shown to be very helpful in many cases to prevent the development of hormone-related cancers. And there are many studies on this. And why? Because there are components in broccoli. Uh, one of the components is called sulforaphanes. It's a really good Scrabble word, sulforaphanes. <laughs> <laughs> but sulforaphanes help the body use estrogen better. So eat your broccoli every once in a while. And Brussels sprouts, the cruciferous vegetables, they help to prevent the development of hormone-related cancers because they put the fire out in terms of that system, hormone-related cancers or, or hormone imbalances. They put the fire out. So inflammation 
You want an anti-inflammatory lifestyle. So the first concept for our mothers out there that you think about with your children is what I'm giving them going to cause fire in the body. And if you're not sure, well, you check. We've got this thing now. We've got this excellent encyclopedia that everyone in the world has access to called the Internet. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. And there's lots of garbage out there. But if you go to places like Alchemy Radio and you listen to some of the interviews of experts, there are people that are taking the time to study this to get the, in- the information out to you. So you want to be... You want to be uh, 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 selective about your source for information, but you want to learn more about why as or if is my child inflamed right now? Is that why they're being diagnosed with attention deficit? Mm. And what can I do to help to put the fire out while you're doing the medications or whatever other protocols that you're doing? You know, if your child's diagnosed with attention deficit, it's not because they have a deficiency of Adderall or of Ritalin, and mm. that when you give them the Ritalin, oh, good, now their body's balanced. No. Now, let me ask you, John, you know, with, with attention deficit, the drugs of choice are Adderall or Ritalin in the United States, and I think over most of the world. Yep. Now, what most listeners don't know is that that speed, Adderall and Ritalin are a type of speed. Why do you give speed drugs to slow a child down. Well, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense until you think about it. And then what happens is, this is what happens. John, in in your life personally, did did you ever have a $100 car or a a 50-pound car or whatever uh, currency you use? An inexpensive car. Have you ever had a really expensive car? Oh, yeah. Inexpensive car. Pretty much all my life, Tom. Yeah, me too, man. I had 13. (laughs) 13. (laughs) 13 cars for $100 or less because... I worked my way through school. I didn't have any money. And so, you know, you like get, get to work any way you can. You get to school any way you can. So you buy a car for $75. When it dies, you get a new car for $75. You never get a tune-up on a $100 car. It costs more than the car. Yeah. But some of those cars, they'd be so out of balance. The engine was out of balance. It wasn't working well that when you come up to a red light, the car would stall. Mm. How do you stop a car from stalling at the red light? You give it a little gas. Mm-hmm. You just you put the clutch in and you rev the engine a little bit or you put it in neutral, you rev the engine a little bit, not because you're hot rodding or you're racing. You just don't want the engine to stall, so you give it a little gas. Light turns green, you drop it and drive, and off you go, mm-hmm. right? Perfect, yeah. Well, our children diagnosed with attention deficit are because their brains are not functioning Completely. They're, they're, they're out of balance. In, in my, my terminology, they're not running on all eight cylinders. You know, they're, they're running on five. Of the, if it's an eight-cylinder engine, they're, they're running on five cylinders. And so that, that brain is stalling. It's stalling at the red light. So how do you stop the car from stalling at the red light? You give them speed. You rev the engine. And then they start to function a little more normally. Does that make sense to you? That does make sense. The problem I have with it, Tom, is that you're treating the symptoms, but you're not actually getting... That's not going to fix your car if you stall. I mean, it's going to happen again and again the next time. You're going to need to keep using extra gas every single time, or in this case, extra speed or Ritalin or Adenol or whatever it is. So that's not solving the problem for me. So where do we go from there? Well, that's a really good point, and that's, that's exactly my point, is that eventually that brain... Uh, we know that Ritalin shrinks the brain of these children. 
so that what happens to them when they're adults, they, they have dysfunctional brain function. They have brain dysfunction. So we know that. So what do you do about this? Well, the reason for this example is that when the brain's firing on five cylinders, it's inflamed. It's inflamed. Mm. There's a fire going on in the brain cells. And that's the weak link for this child. You pull the chain, it breaks the weakest link. If the weak, link's their, weak link is their brain, that's where it occurs. So you rev the engine, you give them a little speed, and they function better. People need coffee to get going in the morning because their brains are not firing on all eight cylinders yet. So the first thing you have to do, it's not that you give them fish oils, which are very good for kids with attention deficit, and it may be a fish oil uh, deficiency that is a component of why they're on fire. Uh, but the first thing you do is stop throwing gasoline on the fire. Mm. That's the first thing you have to do with any degenerative condition before or after it becomes a degenerative disease. So anytime there is dis-ease, stop throwing gasoline on the fire. And the most common way that we're throwing gasoline on the fire is by our food selection. And the most common food happens to be, that causes fire, happens to be gluten. So not everyone has a gluten sensitivity, but is so very common, so very, very common, that one needs to, if the current protocols you're doing to get well are not working to your satisfaction, you're better, you're a little bit better, but you're not quite where you want to be yet, whatever you're doing with your health care, if it's not working at the level you want it to, just consider, might there be a gluten sensitivity? Because the New England Journal of Medicine tells us, and this is a quote, celiac disease is one of the most common lifelong disorders in the U.S. and Europe. That's the exact quote. So I show that quote to my doctors in our lectures. I say, so doctors, if the New England Journal of Medicine says celiac disease is one of the most common lifelong disorders in the country, how often is it in your practice? And they sit there like deer in the headlights because mm -hmm. they never thought about that before, meaning it's there very, very regularly, certainly every week let alone perhaps every day, there's someone, if you knew how to check thoroughly, you would identify it before it got to the point to where the engine's stalling. But it's so very common, and the first concept for your listening audience, stop throwing gasoline on the fire. There's no pill that's going to fix this. There's no uh, family of pills that's going to fix it. Certainly, when you've had fire going on for a long period of time, you've caused some damage. And you need the proper nutrition to rebuild from that damage. And that is why in celiac disease, only 30% of these people heal completely on a gluten-free diet. That is why children diagnosed with celiac disease have a 40% increased risk of suicide compared to non-celiac children with or without a gluten-free diet. 40% increased that, risk of suicide. That's an incredible statistic. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, please? You, uh, you bet. Uh, uh, the, the cause. So first, for those children, they have a gluten sensitivity. The weak link in their chain is the brain. And one of the most common, no, not one of, the most common cognitive condition that occurs with gluten sensitivity, um, if the weak link is the brain, the most common symptom they have is depression. And uh, there's... Uh, uh, a number of papers that have been published that address this. The first, the first paper that I would talk, I don't mean to talk about a lot of papers here, 
But the first one that I'll talk about is uh, was published in September of 2013. And the title is Randomized Clinical Trial. I mean, they just looked at a whole bunch of people. Randomized Clinical Trial. Gluten may cause depression in subjects with non-celiac gluten sensitivity. An exploratory clinical study. So they looked at people that had this sensitivity to gluten. And what did they find? They found that the vast majority of them will suffer from depression. And their conclusion said short-term exposure to gluten specifically induce current feelings of de depression with no effect on other indices or on emotional disposition, meaning it didn't make them anxious. Some people make them anxious, but the ones that got depression, that was their symptom. That's what they manifested. And this was just published, and there are many papers like this. So if children have gluten sensitivity with or without a gluten-free diet, when they go on a gluten-free diet, some things get better, but now we have something that's developed for these children called social phobia. Social phobia means they're afraid to go to school because the kids tease them because they're different. Mm. They don't sit at the same table in the cafeteria with the other kids because kids are cruel at times. And they say, oh, what's that funny food you're eating? Oh, you're different. You're not like us. And so they don't want to go to school. This progresses to the point to where they don't want to go to school. And it progresses to the point to where they don't want to go out with their friends on Friday evening because they don't want to go to the pizza parlor. So they go, they, they have a phobia, a fear of being social. And one of the manifest, the most, not the most common, but uh, one of the unfortunate manifestations is suicide. So the statistic was published in 2009 in a major medical journal that said children diagnosed with celiac disease ha um, have a 40% increased risk of suicide compared to children who do not have celiac disease. So you have to stop throwing gasoline on the fire, and then you have to do the nutrition to deal with the damage that's been done. But you also have to deal, and this is a whole other topic to get into, um, um, teaching these kids how to adapt. And I'll just give you one example for your listening audience of how to adapt. Yeah, please do. There's a wonderful group in the United States called the Gluten Intolerance Group, G-I-G, or GIG, gig.net. And the founder of the Gluten Intolerance Group is Cynthia Cooper. She's a good friend of mine, and she is passionate about this. She's a registered dietitian, and she's passionate about educating people on how to live a healthy, gluten-free lifestyle. So one of the things they do is they sponsor summer camp for children twice a year and in, uh, in two different locations, two camps. And in these camps... They're regular camps. These are summer camps where kids go to uh, uh, swim. They do in the canoe. They may learn archery. They may learn some crafts. I don't know what they're taught there, but it's regular summer camps. And it's celiac kids and non-celiac kids, kids that don't have any eating restrictions. How do they do this? They have one big cafeteria, but two separate kitchens, completely separate kitchens. Okay. And the gig group hires a really smart, good chef, a cutting-edge chef. And this chef will come out for a week. They donate a week of their lives to children. And they come out, and they cook the best food. These pizzas rock. These, these, <laughs> these chefs have it down. So here's the cafeteria line now, and over here is the gluten-free food, and over here is the regular pizza and the regular spaghetti and meatballs. Mm. And then it, it only takes a day or two, 
And the kids without celiac disease, they want to eat the gluten-free food because <laughs> it's so good. So the celiac children have the experience for a week of their food is very cool. And everybody wants their food. Or most of the kids want their food because it tastes so much better, right? So yeah. then they've had that experience in their core, in their spirit, in their soul, while they're out there being replenished by nature and swimming and doing whatever else they're doing. Then they can go back to school and they can deal better with the foolish children, you know, or children just don't know, or the resistant schools that don't have gluten-free menus. And it's really hard for these kids to find things to eat and the cross-contamination that occurs. But these kids are taught. They're taught that you guys are great. Look, look, have some of this. Oh, this is really good. Can I have some more? Of course you can. And, here, and then they have cooking classes. So they teach these kids how to make uh, macaroni and cheese if they don't have a dairy allergy, but it's gluten-free macaroni. So these kids have the experience of being successful in eating and being welcomed and being thought their food is really cool. That's just one example of how you reduce this increased risk of suicide. You and know, what a, what a it, valuable example. Sorry to interject there, Tom, for a second, but what a valuable example because I've noticed in my own life as an adult Certainly in my interactions with people and when, I mean, it can be restrictive, for example, if I want to go out to eat here in Ireland um, because I, I'm, I'm gluten free and I'm assiduous about that. And there is a kind of a, a psychological aspect that I think would carry on into adulthood as well, especially if it's allowed to develop as kids, whereby a lot of people kind of look down their nose or there is a condescension towards being gluten-free. I mentioned it at the very start of the show, but it is seen, seen as a fad by quite a lot of adults and it's just something, oh, you know, it's, it's the latest fashionable thing to be is celiac or to be gluten-free or whatever, but it's not. I mean, you've been talking about science for the last 30 minutes or so and now you're talking about how this can manifest psychologically in kids and I think that, that will carry on into adulthood and does. It certainly does. And let's address this fad thing for a minute, if we may. Uh, uh, it's uh, unbelievable how newspapers and the printed word go for sensationalism and how they sell more papers when they make these silly comments, you know. And, and uh, so here's what happened. There was a, a research paper, a very good research paper, published in the journal Gastroenterology, in early 2013. And the title of the paper was No Effects of Gluten in Patients with Self-Reported Non-Celiac Gluten Sensitivity After Dietary Reduction of FODMAPs. And FODMAPs are carbohydrates that ferment in the body. So there are different components to wheat. You know, there's the proteins, there's the fats, there's the carbohydrates in wheat, rye and barley, and all grains. And this paper looked at the carbohydrates in wheat and then one particular class of carbohydrates in wheat. And they wanted to see, do people have a sensitivity to this particular class of carbohydrates in wheat? And it was a research team of nine, eight people, eight people, and they spent quite a bit of time researching. They did a good job. And what they showed was that this particular cl um, classification of carbohydrates in wheat, yes, if you have a sensitivity to this um, uh, class of carbohydrates called fermentable, poorly absorbed, short-chain carbohydrates, FODMAPs, if you have a sensitivity to FODMAPs, it pretty much takes care of all of the gas and bloating 
that people have with wheat sensitivity. That the, uh, if you get the FODMAPs out, the gas and bloating go away in almost everyone, almost. So they published the paper saying no effects of gluten, because gluten's the protein. No effects of gluten in patients with self-reported non-celiac gluten sensitivity after they took the FODMAPs out. It's still wheat, it's still a sensitivity to wheat, but it, they weren't looking at the protein. As a matter of fact, when they did the study and they looked at the, the potential candidates to, to include in the study, all of those people that had elevated immune markers to gluten, 35% of the, of the cast of people that they were considering for the study, 35% of them had elevated antibodies to gluten. They were not allowed in the study. So the, this is what we call cherry picking your group. Yeah. And so they didn't want the contamination of people who had a sensitivity to gluten um, in this study when they were looking at FODMAP sensitivity. Even with that, they found that 8% of the people they put in the study still had the sensitivity to the protein, not the FODMAPs. They still had the sensitivity to the protein. But they titled the article, No Effects of Gluten in Patients, dot, dot, dot. No Effects of Gluten. That wasn't true. They should have said minor effect of gluten in patients with self-reported sensitivity to FODMAPs. That's what they should have said. But they said no effect. And it just isn't true. 8% of their selected group still had the sensitivity. If you read the paper, it's very clear. But people don't read the paper. And what happened, there was a blogger in London that somehow got a hold of this study, and he blogged about it. See, see, it's a fad. There's no effects of gluten in patients. Here's the study. Science shows us no effects of gluten. See, it's right in the title, no effects of gluten. And that's a very pedestrian way of looking at the study, you know, is just by making a conclusion from the title. You've got to read the study. And they did not read the study. So he published that. And then the London Times picked up on it from his uh, blog site. And then the Wall Street Journal picked up on it. And then the New York Times picked up on it. And then Forbes magazine picked up on it. And all of these different publications said, it's a fad. Study shows it's a fad. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. It was looking at the FODMAPs to see if FODMAPs, the, that class of carbohydrates, were a problem for some people. Now, that same group, the ex exact same group of eight researchers, published a paper six months later that I've already talked to you about. And that paper is randomized clinical trial. Gluten may cause depression in subjects with non-celiac gluten sensitivity. <laughs> So in this study, they said, look, here's the protein affects the brain. The FODMAPs in the earlier study affect the gut. But if you have a, uh, I'm being kind when I say pedestrian way of looking at the study. I think so. You know, because it's damaging tens of thousands of people who are reading the interpretation of that blog. And it's been picked up on by so many um, writers for different magazines that people say, oh, it must be a fad. Well, I guess I'll stop. Uh, avoiding gluten now because it's a fad. And I think or, it's much easier for people to believe that it is a fad because A, it fits in with their existing paradigm and B, because it's so much easier to just continue to eat that delicious sandwich or whatever it is you've been eating up to now. That is exactly right. And it's, it's avoidance. It's avoidance of reality. You know, uh, you, know, you know, here's the reality. Body language never lies. It never lies. Some people, John, do you, do you speak um, of uh, another language besides English? Yep. Okay. 
Um, some people do. Some people speak French or, or Spanish or Portuguese. Some people speak multiple languages. Uh, uh, well, many people don't know how to speak body. And they, they don't know how to interpret what your body is saying to you. It's a language. Body language never lies. So how do you know if you have a gluten sensitivity or not? Well, there's a couple of ways. The first way is if you notice when you stop gluten completely, you stop completely. If you stop completely, is my point coming across? Not reducing it, but you stop completely yep. for, for a week to two weeks. You feel better. Then go out and eat a sandwich, and you notice you don't feel so good again. Your brain's not functioning properly. You're not firing in all eight cylinders. You can't think, or you're barking at your kids, or your joints are sore the next morning when you wake up. Why? What, what, why do I feel like this? How, what's this? Oh, I ate that sandwich yesterday. Mm. If you notice, when you go off gluten for a week or two and you reintroduce it, you don't feel good, that's body language. But that's not as sensitive as if you do the right blood test. Because you have a armed forces in your body to protect you. Army, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, Navy, armed forces. You have an armed forces in your body to protect you. It's called your immune system. And your immune system gets activated to protect you. And they're called immunoglobulins, IgG, IgA, IgM, IgE. Everybody knows about allergy testing when you prick the skin. Yeah. And you look to see you have a sensitivity to a food. That's an IgE test. And it's a very good test. If that comes back positive, you got a problem. But if that comes back negative, it doesn't mean you don't have a problem. It means you don't have an IgE problem. Okay. The Air Force has not been called out. It may be the Navy. And you've got an IgG problem. And your doctor checked the Air Force. He didn't check the Navy. He checked IgE. Skin prick. He didn't check IgG or IgA. And that's the state of testing for allergies today is that doctors look for a test that they feel comfortable doing and they think that test is complete. And that's a very important component of what I teach in my seminars for doctors. You have to ask the armed forces. You don't just ask the Navy. You don't just ask the Air Force. You ask the armed forces. You look to see is your immune system being called out to action to protect you? And if you have elevated antibody, and now there's finally a lab that looks at Army, Air Force, Marines, IgA, IgG, IgM. So there's finally a test available that is more comprehensive to look, do I have a sensitivity to gluten or not? And that test is in Ireland now. It came to Ireland and it came to Great Britain in December of last year. The laboratory is called Cyrex, C-Y-R-E-X, CyrexLabs.com. And you can find a practitioner in, in um, uh, Ireland, where you are, or Great Britain, or in the U.S. There are thousands of doctors in the U.S., and you find a practitioner that knows about these tests, and you get the test done. And I have the, this is all written out. On, uh, I have a handout on, on my website. My website is thedr.com. T-H-E-D-R dot com, the doctor dot com. And we've got handouts there um, that explain why do you want to look at more than just one branch of the armed forces. But you check. Body language never lies. So for those that don't want to spend the money or aren't able to for some reason, stop gluten completely, completely, completely. 
I got to drill it in because people <laughs> think, well, I can have a little. Completely means not a little. And, and I, want, then, I just want to address that, um, Tom, because you really are emphasizing the completely. So it's really not the I mean, is it as bad to have a little gluten as it is to have a lot of gluten? Is it that gluten causes a reaction and that's it? So it's either nothing or some at all, you know? That's really a good question. And the answer is absolutely yes. Um, and you cannot base how you feel as to whether or not there's a problem or not. Right. Uh, uh, but but if, if you feel bad when you have a sandwich after two weeks of no gluten, then absolutely that's clear language for you. But uh, what the way that your immune system works, the problem is with gluten sensitivity, it causes this thing we talked about earlier, intestinal permeability. So it causes that. Uh, and th that is the gateway in the development of autoimmune diseases, which means... Um, psoriasis, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, many cancers are autoimmune. And the gateway to the development of that is intestinal permeability. Then wherever the weak link is in your chain, that's where you're going to have a problem at some point. But you don't feel, see, here, here's a good example. No one gets Alzheimer's in their 60s or 70s. It's a decades-long process of killing off brain cells, decades, 20, 30, 40 years. But you don't notice it until it gets to a certain threshold and then you're worried. But in your 30s, you say, or in your early 40s, you say, you know, I'm getting older, I don't remember the way I used to, ha ha. No, no, your brain isn't supposed to slow down and stop working in your 30s or 40s. That if you're not functioning, if your brain's not functioning the way it should be, you're running on five cylinders out of an eight-cylinder engine. Yeah. And the, and the question is, why is that happening? You just got to look and see how come. Well, just stress, you're getting older. That's nonsense answers from the 1960s and 70s. That's nonsense answers. We now have the technology to identify physiologically what's not working right. And then you, you set out to fix it. And it's an entire educational program, and I educate healthcare practitioners on that. It's called my Certified Gluten Practitioner Program. And it's not about gluten. That's the gateway, the introduction, but it's about the degenerative diseases, the autoimmune diseases that occur as a result of opening the gateway, the intestinal permeability, and then wherever the weak link is, that's where you're eventually going to manifest it. So can you have a little? The answer is... No, you cannot. Whether you feel bad when you, if you have a sensitivity, no, you cannot have a little. Because it's just like a measles vaccination. When they give you a shot of the bug measles for a vaccination, it's the actual bug, measles. And your brain says, well, what's this? This is not good for me. And your brain says, you general, and you've got Army, Air Force, Marine Corps generals sitting around with nothing to do. General, you're now general measles. Take care of this. General Measles builds an assembly line. The assembly line starts producing soldiers. They're called antibodies. And they're trained to go after measles. So you've got all these measles antibodies going around in your bloodstream, uh, firing these chemical bullets called cytokines to destroy the measles bug. So these antibodies are going everywhere, chasing measles to try and find and kill it. General Measles is watching all of this. When all of the measles bugs from the vaccination have been destroyed, General Measles says, all right, turn off the assembly line. We don't need more soldiers right now. 
You shouldn't have measles antibodies in your bloodstream right now, John, unless you've been exposed, but most people are not. So you shouldn't have any antibodies if you were to check. Mm. But General Measles is vigilant the rest of his life. He's always on alert. If you're ever exposed to measles, he just has to flip the switch to turn it on. He doesn't have to build the assembly line, which takes months to build the assembly line. That's why if you go to Africa to visit, you need vaccinations months ahead of time for yellow fever, dengue fever, all these strange diseases. But if you go back to Africa to visit 10 years later, you just need a booster shot two weeks before you go. You just have to wake up general yellow fever, general dengue fever, and then the antibodies are in your bloodstream there to protect you in case you get exposed to anything. That's how vaccinations work. If you have elevated antibodies to gluten, on the, on the blood test, and you do the right blood test to find out, look at Army, Air Force, Marines. If you have elevated antibodies to gluten, you now have general gluten. And general gluten will be there the rest of your life. He's called a memory B cell. Hmm. And he's there the rest of your life to protect you from this invader that your body says is not good for you. So you go gluten-free. Everything calms down after four to six months. You don't have elevated antibodies. You think, well, I can have, I'll just try a piece of cake. It's my daughter's birthday. And you didn't take the time to get a gluten-free cake. So you have a piece of her, a couple bites of her birthday cake. You think you're fine. But immunologists tell us, how much measles does it take to turn on the memory B cell for measles? One one thousandth of the initial dose from the shot. One one thousandth of a milligram is all it takes. So you get exposed to a little bit of gluten, general gluten turns on immediately, the assembly line gets turned back on, and then for about six months, you've got antibodies going through your bloodstream, pulling at the chain, wherever the weak link is, destroying that tissue. Your brain, your kidney, your heart, your liver, wherever your weak link is, that's where it's going to, to manifest itself. So there's no middle ground, you have to be assiduous with it. That is correct. There's, if you have elevated antibodies, when you check properly, by doing this test. There's no other test in the world that I'm aware of that's this comprehensive. So any other test you do, it comes back positive, you got a problem. It comes back negative, you may still have a problem. They're just not looking at the entire armed forces. Right. So that leads on to, I suppose, another issue for a lot of people and how difficult it can actually be to take the step and to adapt to a gluten-free lifestyle. I mean, we've spoken a lot there about the benefits and I can speak from personal experience. I'm nearly a year gluten-free. I'm not diagnosed as celiac. However, I decided to experiment. I'm very interested in health. And uh, I just decided, having done quite a lot of reading about it, to see how it fit with me. So I stopped 100% and I had asthma completely gone. And now when I say completely, I don't look at an inhaler anymore. Uh, I had very bad um, skin problems, one of them being eczema. That has disappeared. And... In terms of general well-being, energy, mental health, concentration, focus, everything. And I mean, the one change I've made has been gluten. Everything has improved for me to the point where my days are more enjoyable. Life has become more enjoyable for me. I get far less stressed. I was somebody who would be quite highly strung and still can be from time to time. But I've become more kind of more comfortable in myself. I'm less affected by, for example, the opinions of other people and everything has improved. And I'm putting it down to gluten and a lot of people have shot me down when I say this to them. Oh, it must be something else. You're just, you're just having a good year or whatever. Well, 
It's not that. I made a change and it's the response to the change. And I deliberately tested this, Tom, about two months ago. I decided, right, let's have an owl sandwich and we'll see what happens. So... Yes. I would have been somebody who would have eaten a huge amount of wheat, bread being a big one for me. I mean, a loaf of bread a day was normal for me, along with everything else. So I decided, right, and I had four, four to six slices of bread, I can't remember. And I, was, I felt bad for easily two weeks. I mean, very bad. I was cloudy. I didn't like getting up in the morning for about two weeks before that started to clear. My skin, almost overnight, became bad again. I needed my inhaler. And all of that happened. So again, that's about two months ago. The antibodies are still in there floating around, but I'm back to, and I I say normal now because normal for me is to feel good, not to feel bad. I don't think it's acceptable, as so many people do in Western society, to just, oh, well, I'll make the best of it. I'll muddle along. Fair enough, I feel bad most of the time, but I have to make the best of it. No, you don't. You can improve your situation. And one way that I have certainly done it through my experience is gluten. So to get back to my original question, how do people make that change? How difficult is it? And what kind of tips or solutions would you have for people? Because personally, I would recommend it, but I wouldn't be naive enough to say <laughs> that it's going to be easy for everyone. It wasn't easy for me. It's still not easy, but it gets easier all the time. Well, John, thank you for that. I, a couple of things. First, congratulations on having the courage to do this and the fortitude to stay with it. When I'm sure it was difficult at first to... Um, uh, discontinue eating gluten and your results are very, very common. That's why there's such a pushback against it because people get so excited to say, oh my God, my, my asthma's gone, my skin is better, my brain's better, my energy's better, I love life more, I feel so much better. People think you're a nutcase. Yeah, they did. Yeah, because they don't feel that way and so they cross their arms in a defiant position and can't believe that something so simple that they do every day, so all of a sudden it's a threat to them because they're eating it every day. It can't be that. It must be a fat. But it's so very, very common that people respond the way that you just have. So congratulations to you and to the listening audience. This is the most common response that you hear from people when you say, how's it been for you going gluten-free? You know, and there are some that say, oh, I don't notice much change. And there are some that say, I don't notice any change, but I did the blood test. I have a problem and I'm going to wait and redo the blood test in three months or excuse me, in six months, because I understand that it's the gateway to the development of autoimmune diseases. And my family history is very bad for brain diseases. So I'm going to do whatever it takes. So I'll just stay with it and see when the immune system goes down and relaxes to normal. I'll try having a little gluten again to see if I can have any at all. Mm. You know, there are people that are that smart that want to be healthy and willing to commit. So they'll do that. So now, to your question, how do you do this? It depends on so many factors. It depends on an evaluation of how strong are you? How strong are you as a person? What's your fortitude factor? Are you able to stay in there when your brain says, I really want a pizza? I really want a pizza. Are you able to say, that's nice, that's nice, but we're going to have a hamburger without a bun and a salad and some vegetables today. And when your body says, I really want a uh, sandwich, I really want a sandwich, can you say, well, that's nice, I hear you're saying that, but we're going to have a salad with chicken or a salad with salmon today. So it depends, you have to do an evaluation for yourself as an individual uh, in most cases and say, all right, well, you know, I think I'll transition over the next month. I'll just taper it down in one month from now, I'll be completely gluten-free. I don't personally care 
how aggressive you are in going gluten-free. What I care about is that you become educated on this and you consider, is this a problem for you? And then you do it at a pace where you can be successful. The only exception to that is if you have a child that's sick, any type of sick, whether it's recurrent infections or their brain's not working the way it should be, then you, you might transition, but over a shorter period of time, because the longer these children have this amount of inflammation going on, it impacts on their growth. So it impacts, and not just height and weight, although that's a very common indicator of a gluten sensitivity. Shorter kids in the class have a much higher percentage of gluten sensitivity. It's not just height and weight, though. It's their pituitary that controls all the hormone production in your body. Or it's the hypothalamus that's the, uh, the center in the brain that controls all function in the body. Or it's the kidneys that failure to grow means any tissue in your body may fail to grow. Maybe your thyroid. And when this kid's an adult, they have thyroid problems because their thyroid only developed to 92% of its potential as opposed to 100%. I'm just making up the number. It could be 74% development. Yeah. And these kids are obese for their entire lives. So with children, for the parents, you got to do the footwork to get educated on how to do this right. You can go to our website, thedoctor.com. We've got lots of articles, lots of interviews, lots of guidelines that you can do. But the main thing I think that someone can do if you want to be educated on this and get the big picture overview, the really main thing I think that would help everyone, and there's not many things that I say all or every, but this is one of them. The main thing is that I interviewed 29 of the world's leaders, the actual thought leaders in the world on celiac disease and gluten sense. I went to Oxford, England to interview the godfather of all celiac diagnosis, Professor Michael Marsh. Umberto Volta from Bologna, Italy. Um, Yehuda Schoenfeld from Tel Aviv, Israel. I interviewed the leaders and I asked them the difficult questions and I interpreted it into language that everyday people could understand. And it's called the Gluten Summit. And the Gluten Summit is available. It's at theglutensummit.com. And seven of the world's leading nutritionists. And how do you transfer over to a gluten-free lifestyle? How do you order in restaurants? How do you do this? So the Gluten Summit is an encyclopedia of 29 interviews that you can go to theglutensummit.com and you can get this. And you take the time over the course when you're driving to work, you just start listening to some of these interviews. Some of them you listen to again and again because there's so much information in there from neurologists and cardiologists and rheumatologists and pediatricians that I've interviewed who talk about how gluten may manifest in your body. You get the big picture overview in the next month or two by listening to the Gluten Summit interviews, and then you'll know exactly what to do. Uh, so if you want guidance, that's the way you can do it. The other way is on my website, thedoctor.com, thedr.com. We have certified gluten practitioners all over the world. They've gone through my training. They've passed the exams. They understand this. They know how to work with it. They know how to guide you. So you just go to the map of the world on my website. And you see, is there anyone in my area who's been certified in this? So you've got two methods that you can go forward with, the glutensummit.com and look for a certified gluten practitioner in your area. Fantastic. So there are lots of options for people. Yes, there are. 
And over the last, the course of the last 34, 35 years then, Tom, gluten sensitivity is something that has permeated into the mainstream consciousness a little bit more than it would have in the past. And from that point of view, it is easier for you to get your message out there. But with the advent of the internet and that fine encyclopedia that we have there, provided we learn to use it correctly... Have you been encouraged by people's attitudes towards gluten sensitivity and general health and well-being? Because one concern that I would always have, and this is just me thinking out loud here, I mean, I don't have anything to back it up, is that people, unless they're directly affected by something, and certainly I would have been very like this in the past, and still to a certain degree, unless something is immediate and affecting me right now, I'll tend to put it on the back burner and worry about it at a later date. And that can be very, very dangerous, particularly when it comes to our health, because if we don't look after ourselves now, we're storing up problems for later life. It might be in a year's time, it might be in 50 years' time, but undoubtedly that's what's going to happen. And it is becoming more and more difficult, unless you educate yourself to eat eat healthily. I mean, we've seen the food pyramid for years, and that has been, I suppose, totally debunked at this stage. It's it's not about getting grains in and eating lots of wheat and basing your diet on that. Th- things are completely different from what we were brought up to believe. So into the future, how do you think things are going to be? I mean, are, are you positive about how things have gone over the last 34 or 35 years? Or do you think there is a huge amount of disinformation still out there and what needs to be done? So kind of a, a general synopsis of the past and then going forward into the future, how positive are you? Well, thank you. I'm very, very positive about the future. You know, you have, I have to admit, we have these bozos out there, like, excuse me for saying that, but uh, I, I have no tolerance for this. Mm. The, the, the blogger who talked about no effects of gluten and has thousands and thousands of people now who are questioning whether they should do this or not. So you have to be selective in your information. You have to go to the real experts. That's why the gluten, sense, the gluten summit is so good that I went to the real experts. And when you hear these people, sub, uh, we had 120,000 people that listened to the Gluten Summit. We had 18,000 emails come in to us, 18,000 thank yous and comments and questions uh, as a result of this. I mean, yes, the, the internet is a marvelous, marvelous tool. You just have to be careful. And if it makes sense to you, if it just makes sense, I'm, I'm hoping what I'm giving you today makes sense. It may be a new way of thinking, but my message is you just check. You just check. And I'm going to close with one example for you. That the, the problem with gluten is causing the intestinal permeability, the gateway, the development of autoimmunity. So there's a test that looks at are you currently um, suffering from an autoimmune mechanism, whether or not it's giving you symptoms. So a patient came to me, 44 years old. Uh, His father had died at 44 of a massive coronary. His two older brothers had died in their early 40s of massive coronaries. He was the last male in the family. He went to a cardiologist at the age of 20 when his last brother died and said, "Uh, I want to make sure I'm okay. And the cardiologist put him on a statin drug to keep his cholesterol low. uh, This guy had a 12% body fat. And as you know, John, that's a very fit guy. Yep. Uh, he's exercising regularly. He was meticulous about only eating good food, never ate junk food. Um, he looked to be the epitome of health. But he said, I want to do your test. I heard you talk. I want to do your test just to make sure I'm okay. Well, we did the test and we found out that all three markers for antibodies to the heart were elevated twofold, threefold, fourfold. His immune system was attacking his heart, but he had no symptoms whatsoever. He was the picture of a healthy 44-year-old man. Mm, wow. But his, but his immune system was attacking his heart big time. 
This guy had a tremendous amount of inflammation in his heart that he was compensating by a good lifestyle. But uh, no one knows, but we think we saved his life because we, and where was it coming from? He had a gluten sensitivity. We took gluten out of his diet. A year later, the antibodies were down to normal, all down to normal. No more fire in his heart. He stopped throwing gasoline on the fire, but he had no symptoms, but he had a family history that scared him. So he went the extra mile to find out. So for all of your listeners out there, you just have to just have to move forward with the level of focus and intensity that you can. For some, it's a transition. For others, they just stop cold turkey and see how they feel. If you want the information, you go to theglutensummit.com. That's where you'll get the education to reinforce this. And then how, what are the different ways that you can do it? Transition or go uh, full gluten-free right away. And the last thing that I would like to say, um, this comes from um, a man I respected greatly. He, he was from Chicago. He passed a few years ago. His name was Studs Terkel. And he was a writer, a very famous guy locally in Chicago, wrote a couple of books. And as he'd be walking out of a room, uh, had a cigar in his mouth, you know, was one of those kind of old cantankerous guys. <laughs> he, he'd turn around and he'd look at his friends and he'd say, take it easy. But take it. I like that. That's really good. Yeah. So for your entire listening audience, take it easy. Don't get crazy about this, but take it. Take the information. Look at this for yourself, for your children. Find out what's going on for you. So almost to surmise then, what I'm taking from this conversation, Tom, is kind of a three-step process. Number one, educate. Number two, put out the fire. And then number three, rebuild using fireproof materials. Exactly. Exactly. That's a good summary, John. Very good summary. Brilliant. Well, we'll get all the relevant website addresses up on alchemyradio.net. But you have some talks and some seminars upcoming in the UK and Ireland. So fill us in on those because there will be a lot of listeners who are very interested. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, I'm coming over to uh, the UK in the next few weeks. Let me see if I can bring it up on my computer because I don't know where I'm going. Well, I'll give you a little uh, nudge in the right direction. We're looking at London for the 13th of September initially. Um, uh, then you're in Griffith College in Ireland on the 21st of September for the Irish Association of Nutritional Therapists. And then back in London on September the 23rd. So you're kind of, uh, Ireland is, is in between the two UK dates. Yes, yes. And all, all of my um, uh, talks, my uh, uh, presentations, wherever I am in the world, you'll find them on uh, uh, thedoctor.com. There is a tab there that says, where in the world is Dr. Tom? And so all of the talks are listed there. So you can find out where I am. And uh, if you wish to attend, um, how to contact those people uh, for registration. Fantastic. So could we give the message to the listeners then, Tom, that no matter how bleak the health situation may seem, so much of what's out there is linked to inflammation and is reversible. Is that, is that a fair thing to say? Every cell in your body regenerates. Every cell in your body heals. Every cell. The question is, do you, do you regenerate a new cell that's damaged or do you regenerate a new cell that's a little bit healthier? Every cell in your body regenerates. So you, if you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to keep going in the direction you're going. 
So if you have degeneration going on, your body's not working the way you want it to, you're moving in that same direction. You might try adding a little vitamin C or a little fish oil or something. It's going to help. But the momentum is still going the same way. You have to look at the foundational problems that may be there. And what you put in your mouth, every forkful is inflammatory or anti-inflammatory. Every forkful. There's no neutrals except healthy water. So what you put in your mouth determines your level of inflammation more than any other one factor. And yes, you can rebuild healthier cells. You can rebuild stronger functioning tissue if you take a comprehensive overview. And the first thing is always what you put in your mouth. I have the power. You have the power. We have the power. Dr. Tom O'Brien, it's been fantastic and enlightening speaking to you on Alchemy Radio. I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Thanks for joining me today. It's been a privilege. Thank you, John. Alchemy Radio. Do you consider yourself a disciplined guy? Do you get up every day and work? Oh, I try to get up every day. In the breaks, like the government, we go forever Because of ruthless and bow, keep promoting terror Oscar Wilde on the beat, man, our quotes are clever Bill Hicks in this bitch, yeah, our jokes are better Cause they were half on a track, we control them Whether or not you don't get buried like some golden treasure Man, I flow so fresh, use as old and leather Screwed his butter on his booty, you just mold the cheddar Put a bullet in your palm, I let you hold the beretta But man, you put them two together, bro, you're gonna regret it Chuck Norris on the track, in the middle of a mission Where we shot, bullet ended up in critical condition Fuck the truck down, put us in the pinnacle division Got it locked down, like we're living in a prison Say that we're intimidating, make a single look a killer Mill the brick, crack the building, like we're in the fucking film Mill the brick on the drop, man, the lines are sick Got this shit locked down, like the guys are stripped Got this shit locked down, like the guys are stripped That's a little classic hit Mill the brick on the drop, man, the lines are sick Got this shit locked down, like the guys are stripped Got this shit locked down, like the guys are stripped Is it that some classic shit? Mill the brick on the wall like skull and bones Original in a world that's full of clones yeah. Call us from a gas soy cause we run the clone Raising interest like you went and took a loan With the soil part and rock Making money off the underground yeah. Bohemian gold soil Burning down the wood and hell of Illuminati rap Joy lateral commission yes. We bought a rap These other rappers bought a libelation So congrats bro Dublin the glass go These rappers now are so fake They're probably made by Monsanto Tumble down a rabbit hole And maybe take a peek at tracks I see but through the airways Like radiation leaks Still a big and new mate Sonic Order and rock, dumb it down, I got a floor right to your water on top. Pull a master control and wool events like a pot of the yeah. morning. Throw a piece of solidarity to polish the big on the drop, man. The lines are sick. Got this shit locked down, like the guys are stripped. Got this shit locked down, like the guys are stripped. That's a little classic hit. Bill a big on the drop, man. The lines are sick. Got this shit locked down, like the guys are stripped. Got this shit locked down, like the guys are stripped. Is it that some classic shit? Hey, yo, I'm warning you. Stank we blowing like a harmonica. Hildeberg crew locking it down like a Squatanamo. Bay, son of a bitch, son of a bass, some of them this, none of them last. Do the math yourself. You let bitches take half your check. I'm just trying to get a bitch to pay half my break. Then shut the fuck up, play her position. I lean over the stove, getting brains in the kitchen. Smacking up, I give it to her like a matinee. Pipe my French up, burn her, get benched in a negligee. She sent me a message, she said she loved me. Oh, 
Kisser on the cheek, you're disgusting Degenerate prick like a fucking skill I leave it on the chin like a pimp bill I pimp the system out, living like a pimp will We embrace, leave your face spinning like a windmill We're gonna drop on the lines of sick Got this shit locked down like the guys are stripped Got this shit locked down like the guys are stripped That's a little classic hit I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Alchemy Radio. Remember, we rely on donations to keep the show in its current free and advertising-free format and are extremely grateful for any help you can offer. We've no fixed cost on your donations and every little help, so, for example, if you could spare even the price of a cup of tea every month, this will go a long way towards keeping us afloat. Our donate button is on the website and your support and assistance is hugely appreciated. And indeed, thank you to everybody for your recent help and support. We really couldn't do it without you. Our next guest is Tobias Churton, and he'll be discussing the life of the media-dubbed world's wickedest man, Alistair Crowley. Until then, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Alchemy Radio. Alchemy Radio. Analyze. Alchemy Radio. Conceive. Alchemy Radio. Believe. Are you tuned in? Are you tuned in? Are you tuned in? Are you tuned in? Are you tuned in?